And then I had to make the decision, do I rescind the wild card and, and give up my dream of playing the Grand Slam, give up that money, um, or do I give it a crack, you know? Um, do I put myself first and kind of give it a bit of a crack and, and give it a go? And I was, um, yeah, I was really struggling. I, I probably identified, that was probably the moment I identified just how, how much I was struggling. And, uh, um, you know, I got home eventually and just went straight to the kitchen. Mum was there. And, um, yeah, geez, I, I broke down, you know, it was, uh, it was a moment where I showed a, a lot of vulnerability and, um, and I think my parents knew that I was doing it tough for sure, but they, they probably didn't know how tough I was doing it. You're listening to Trade Mutt's 120 Grit podcast, the podcast for the working class, hosted by Dan Allen and Ed Ross, the co-founders of Trade Mutt. If you're a fan of Trademarks 120 Grit, we'd love to hear what you think. Send us a message on Facebook or Instagram or shoot us an email at admin at trademark.com. G'day legends. Just letting you know that the TX support line is now up and running. If you're a tradie, a truckie or a blue collar worker, don't let it get any harder. Text or call This Is A Conversation Starter on 488 if you have a family member, friend or a loved one who is a blue-collar worker that may be doing it tough and you're not sure where to turn, we're here for you too. Text or call 0488 469 Righto, ladies and gentlemen, strap yourselves in for another ripper of a podcast. John Millman is an Australian professional tennis player and cult hero among Australian sports fans. Currently ranked 43 in the world, John is very much loved and highly respected for his gritty attitude on the court and always personifying many of the values that make Australian sport fans proud. To say John's story typifies resilience and overcoming adversity is a massive understatement. This Queensland-born athlete comes from a tennis-loving family and has been playing competitions since just four years of age. Developing a love for tennis at such a young age lit a flame inside him that has grown into a fire taking John on an unbelievable journey from sleeping in train stations in Milan and airports in Germany with all his worldly possessions strategically attached to him, just so that he could play professional tennis and make his dream a reality. However, despite his dedication, John has sustained numerous injuries that would have ended many other careers before him. This podcast is an in-depth recount of John's journey as he takes us behind the scenes and talks candidly about the highs and lows of chasing a dream and why squeezing the lemon dry is more important than trophies and prize money. Righto. Time for another episode of Trademark's 120 Grit Podcast, the podcast for the working class. And today we usually have special guests in. Today is no exception. In fact, this one might be even better. Extraordinary. Yeah, we are extremely lucky enough. Actually, this is our first Olympian. The first time we've had an Olympian in the studio, so yeah. you've got, you know, big shoes to fill. I want to see that tattoo, actually. You'd have it on there somewhere, wouldn't you? Yeah, no, I actually do. Yeah, no, <laughs> I do. So that is the sound of, uh, that's the voice of um, Australian professional tennis player, John Millman. Now, John, you are currently ranked 43 in the world. You uh, own a couple of racehorses, which is uh, pretty cool. You're a, you're a Liverpool Football Club supporter, which is very close to our hearts here. But... Um, most importantly, the night after the, the night that you beat Roger Federer, I've read that you struggled to sleep because your uh, NFL fantasy dream team was being announced, and that just kept you up all night. So, John Millman, welcome to the studio, mate. No, thanks for having me, and um, good memories with the uh, the Roger Federer encounter. Bad memories of the fantasy football draft. <laughs> I uh, chose Le'Veon Bell, and he sat out the rest of the season. So. 
Um, here's to hoping that my next draft, which will be coming up pretty soon, um, will be a little more successful. Mate, yeah, it's a pleasure to have you in here. Shout out to big uh, super coach Ben Crow for uh, allowing us to connect and, and do this. It's bloody awesome. And I was, yeah, saying when I saw him in your box down at the Aussie Open, I just quickly got on my phone and said, fuck are you doing there? <laughs> and then that was the connection we needed. And, um, yeah, luckily through COVID, I suppose, it's worked for us to get you in here. So it's bloody unreal. Well, I was just saying um, I was lucky enough to watch the Australian team versus Greece in the ATP um, tennis tournament. I'm not sure what it's called. Up in that Pat Rafter Arena, but it was an epic battle. But uh, yeah, one of my memories of that night was um, you uh, helping um, Perva Larkos up off the court. You climbed over the net, I believe, yeah, to uh, it, help him up after he slipped. And you don't you don't see that much. Well, two things happened there. Um, we employed a, a Spanish mob to go and resurface all the courts and I thought they did a terrible job. So there was sand coming out of it. So there was genuine concern for my, for my opponent that night. And TA probably won't like me saying that, but that court was a, was a shocker. And um, the second thing was uh, I realised then and there that um, potentially he was milking it because he didn't move. So, he, I didn't see him move better after that point. He was uh, going from side to side. And, um, yeah, there was a bit of egg in my face then. But it was a tough match, uh, playing the right way and uh, – yeah, I was glad to, to get the point for the Australian team. It was an absolute cracker. And actually the thing that I loved most about it, because I think, um, you know, when you look at tennis, it's a, predominantly it's a, it's not it's not a team sport, you know, usually you're on your own. And so I think that probably requires an extra amount of, you know, mental resilience there. But that night was, it seemed so different to what I've ever seen before because of this team, you know, environment. I'm sure it's probably similar for Davis Cup. But that was cool, and it just seemed to be a bit of a different vibe. Did you, did, you know, do you feel that like? Oh, definitely, because you're not playing for yourself. You know, you're playing for, for your mates on the bench. For, for myself, probably the pinnacle of that is is Davis Cup, like you touched on there, uh, one of the oldest team um, actually events in, in in history of sport, the Davis Cup, and you know we're very lucky to be guided by Leighton Hewitt, who and, and Tony Roach, who who you know rank really high in my books. And, you know, there's a real feeling of, of representing your country there. And in tennis, you don't always get to do that. But um, the, the chance to represent your country, I think, is, is the pinnacle of, of sport in, in anything, in any code. Um, there's a lot of pride there. Um, nothing beats hearing the national anthem before um, you go out to, to, to go for battle. And, yeah, it's, it's special. It's really special. And uh, HB Cup was a great concept that... Tennis Australia uh, kind of introduced this year, um, but obviously don't want that to take away from from Davis Cup, which uh, the history that we have in that competition, the legends that have gone before us, um, I'll never match their feats. But it's uh, it's it's definitely another element to to the sport that that I've played my whole life, being able to play for your country. Yeah, well, it was a, it was yeah, I don't know, I, I really enjoyed it, but. Um yeah, seeing, I mean, even like seeing, watching Nick Kyrgios that night, like it, he looked like a different player being part of a team. And I think Nick, he, he's spoken a lot before about, you know, I mean, he, I know he loves his basketball and um, he clearly loves play, playing for a team. But, you know, yeah, when an individual, it's a different battle. So, yeah, it's an interesting dynamic, I think. So it's cool. Yeah, it is. Well, I mean, love to get a bit more of a, a timeline perspective of, you know, your journey, John, and sort of, um, you know, going from – you know, GPS schoolboy and, and, you know, obviously a very talented tennis player, but then your journey, you know, into, you know, the world stage. So sort of just take us through those early years and we're, we're talking about some injuries before we came on the air. Run us, run us through that. 
Yeah, so um, I probably went down a, a slightly different path to, to a lot of my peers. Uh, you know, in the tennis world, what you see on TV, the ATP and WTA circuits, uh, there's that happening on the junior stage also where kids, you know, probably 14, 15, 16, 17, they're traveling the world. They're not playing for prize money, but what they're doing is is they're, they're playing for, for sponsorships. They're playing for... Uh, to build their brand, to build their reputation. So big companies, big management companies like your IMGs, Octagons, get interested. Um, Exposure, Nikes, Adidas, these companies, they want to get the next Roger Federer. So a lot of these kids will will quit school. They might do a bit of distance education uh, and they'll go out and they'll travel 30, 40 weeks a year and and, and try to, to crack it in the big time, you know. Uh, but for myself, I both uh, school teachers as parents, so it's um, you know that wasn't going to to sit well with them, and uh, school was very important for them. So I started off at Brisbane Grammar. I needed something just to I needed a little more flexibility there, so I ended up at Churchy, and um, and got through that school education um, with the the thought in my mind that I'd give it a bit of a crack, you know, when I finished school, but. Uh, as a 15 year old, you don't think like that. You look at your peers and, and you, you're stressing out that you're, you're missing time. You're, you're, these guys are getting ahead of you in, in pretty important developmental years for your game. But um, as I've gotten older, I've, I've come to realize that at school, you're not just learning math, science, you're, you're learning social skills. You're um, building connections that will uh, be with you long past your, your tennis career. So look, I'm very grateful that my parents encouraged me to, to, to stick at it and, and to stick through school. But, you know, I was probably behind the eight ball a little bit then because by the time I was 17, 18 and had just graduated, it was time to, to try to chase my dream. But um, you find out pretty quickly that if you don't have, uh, you know, necessarily the, the federation funding, uh, that it's going to be a, a pretty tough, tough. task. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's, we've, we, um, yeah, Ex uh, drafty old uh, MP3 design. What's his name? Oh uh, God, I've gone blank. You know. You've, anyway, you've dumped me um, in there. His son, um, yeah, was a well, Patricia. Yeah, Patrick Hoskins, fucking <laughs> beauty. Yeah, so his son, um, he was saying was a was coming through as like a really good tennis player, but that's what he was struggling with. He was like, mate, I, I can't afford to put you through. He's like, you you got to find someone. I think he's found someone over um, in Brizzy here that's sort of going to help him sponsor it to get it going. But yeah, that is obviously quite a stressful thing because you're like, holy fuck, how are we going to get ourselves through Same this? as golf and stuff. Like Cam, yep. Cam yeah, Powell was Cam talking on, about yeah. like to, to become a professional golfer, the amount of money that you've got to invest just to be in with a chance, to be in with a look in, you know? Well, it's an individual sport. Yeah. And our, our federation has a has a lot of money, but people are paid to, to identify who the talents are and, and who aren't. And probably the fact that I went down a different path, I, I probably wasn't um, – you know, fitting to their pathways. And that's fine because um, they're going to hit and they're going to miss sometimes. So look, I, I probably I played with a bit of a chip on my shoulder, but again, I've matured a little bit and I've probably come to realize that that's life. You know, you, um, you're not always going to, to get probably the, the easier, easier route. And um, with that, um, you're going to face some challenges, but if you can get through that, and a lot of people would probably say that I, I got through that, and probably came out probably a little bit more resilient. So, uh, how did I how did I start? I I, I had a, the generosity of a couple of families that helped me. There's no doubt about that. And 
you know, they kind of helped me on my way. But another thing I, I did, my, my parents are fantastic people, um, have four sisters. They sent us all through private school education. They're school teachers and, and that's pretty expensive. That's a, that's a yeah, huge it's, it's effort. It's a good effort. Yeah. It's a good effort. And I, I decided pretty early on that if I was going to do this tennis thing, uh, I didn't want them to kind of fund it. I didn't want them to mortgage their house. I didn't want them to, um, yeah, I didn't want to put any more burdens on them because, and they would have, they would have done parents anything. Do that, yeah, par- parents yeah. do do that. But um, this was kind of my dream and probably a little bit too. Um, I don't know if I would have handled uh, that those types of pressures to really, um, when I walked on the court, yeah, I wanted it to kind of be on my shoulders and I didn't want to have to carry... That expectation. Yeah, yeah. yeah not even expectation. You know, that they expect me to, and they still do, they expect me when I go out on court to give it a crack and give it a nudge and, and that's in my DNA, so that's going to happen. But yeah. I just didn't... I, I, those pressures would be too great for me because it's at someone else's expense. So I had to figure out how to do it. Um, early on, after my first shoulder surgery, um, money was pretty tight and I... I decided halfway through the year um, I would play some club tennis. So like club footy here, um, you know, first grade footy, uh, these clubs, although I wasn't first grade tennis over there, <laughs> these clubs, um, they can get one international player to play for their, their little clubs. I was playing in a little village actually. Where, whereabouts is this? This is a place called Upstart Vaya. Um, <laughs> mate, it's uh, – Say that ten times fast. Yeah, <laughs> it's sandwiched in between um, for anyone who's, who's – you know, maybe done well, the well um, travelled. Yeah, yeah, done the uh, Oktoberfest. It's sandwiched in between um, a place called Karlsruhe and um, Heidelberg, and tiny little village. Um, I also played um, some Swiss league tennis in in Sug uh, in Switzerland, and um, you didn't want to pay for my food in Switzerland because it's expensive. And I, uh, it would be terrible for your ranking, but halfway through the year. You'd get, you know, for, for a couple of months, you'd be playing for, for your team and you'd be getting guaranteed money, which is great. The only problem is you couldn't play tournaments during that time period that would be um, improving your ranking because at tournaments you're playing for points, which, you know, yeah. give you ranking points and, and that increases your ranking and gives you more opportunities to get into bigger tournaments if you're winning. But for me, that was the only way to, to kind of do it. Um, that little bit of cash injection would then kind of probably pay for my airfare home and, and um, I'd be able to play a couple of tournaments at the back end of the year in Australia and then we'd, you know, rinse and repeat this cycle uh, for a few years. And at this time, I was very much kind of um, learning my trade. Uh, my type of game, I wasn't the type of player that when I turned 18 and went from juniors to men's tennis, I was going to, to make that jump straight away. It just wasn't going to happen for me. Oh, I had to get better. I had to keep improving. I wasn't good enough back then. So uh, I, I kind of liken it to a bit of an apprenticeship. Um, I had to learn what worked for me, what didn't work for me. Um, I had to almost build build my brand a little bit. What, you know, what am I going to – what's going to give me the best chance of, of success on this tennis tour? So um, all the time I was learning, um, had met some great people over there. In fact, I, I met my missus over there. So uh, – I'm, I'm grateful for that opportunity. I would have loved to have, um, you know, had the money and, and not done that because uh, it, it made it tougher and it probably 
made that transition period a little longer than than what I would have liked. But um, through that time, I I kind of you know learn a lot about myself, and, and you learn pretty quickly when things are tough. Uh, you learn pretty quickly if you want it or not. Because I remember when I first went to Spain, I would have been nineteen, and and I rock up there and. It was a 128 draw qualifying. So you have to win four matches before you get to, to the main draw of a $10,000 future, which is the very lowest of professional tennis. So $10,000 isn't what the winner gets. That's total prize money for the whole tournament. So 128 um, people um, just to qualify for a spot in the 32 main draw. So you've got yeah, 160 people there. Um, and throughout those four rounds, you're not playing for any money there. Um, you know, you're, you, when you get into the main draw, if you, if you qualify, so you win four matches and, you know, you're playing every day, playing two matches a day, um, then you'd be guaranteed 150 bucks. <laughs> so when you think about it, um, it's tough because $150 when you're paying for your food, you've paid for your ticket, your flight there, you're paying for a hotel, um, you don't have a coach, obviously, because... Dude, you must question yourself and just be like, fuck 100%, yeah. because, you know, a lot of times I wasn't getting through that qualifying. You'd be doing 150 bucks like, a day on power raids, just playing <laughs> yeah. two games of tennis. Like. Yeah, they give you one free water, so, um, you know... I bet it's bloody um, good water, though. Mate, it was on clay, so <laughs> you'd be watering the courts and, you know, non-drinkable water, I can tell you, my gullet was, um, was uh, down the end of that tap. But uh, it, it's tough, and so literally... Um, if you didn't win matches, you didn't get through qualifying, you're sleeping on the floor somewhere, you know. Um, yeah. train, train stations, Milan train station, spent a few nights there because – True. <laughs> oh, yeah. It must be hard for people to understand that when they watch you on TV, you know, playing at the Aussie Open or US Open or yeah. something and think – that have no idea the journey you've been through to mm. get to that point. And I think that that's – That's insane. Yeah, and I think that that's something that kind of goes by the way. So especially here, here in Australia where um, – we see tennis in it in all its glory mm. for one month a year, um, but because it's a great month, oh, yeah. it is. everyone's a tennis fan. <laughs> everyone's a tennis yeah. fan, and 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 many of players have reignited their careers because you know they quit a while ago and and they get trapped into these uh, these these bright lights of the um, euphoria of the yeah, Aussie Open, and then yeah. they realise the next week you know they have to to go to country Victoria. Um, <laughs> but but look, it's. Um, it's not a sob story for myself though, because, and, and, you know, I, I want to stress that because uh, I'm one of, I was one of probably the 90, 95% of people that are doing it like this. It and doesn't come across as a sob story at all because the reality is you're sitting here, you've done all the things you've done and it's, I mean, you talk about resilience, you talk about doing the hard yards, well, you're not going to get there unless you've done it, are you? And that's the thing with, 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 with my sport is that you, you have to, unless you're one of those few that are really talented that can make that transition really easily or you have um, the, the support of, um, you know, a massive amount of support from, you know, your governing body or, or, or whatnot, uh, you're going to have to do it the hard way. You're going to have to put in the hard yards and, and you find out pretty quickly if you, if you want it or not because, you know, there's, there's plenty of sacrifices at the same time. Um, you've got your mates, 18th, 21st, uh, your sisters, are, uh, are getting married. Um, you, you're missing out on, on a lot of those, on, on being a, you know, an 18, 19 year old, yeah. you know, you're, you're not touching a drop of alcohol because I was of the opinion that I had to soak up 
I was like a sponge, you know, or like a lemon, and um, and I have to squeeze that thing dry, and then that's what that that was my goal, you know. It's it's as simple as that. Um, it was to squeeze that lemon dry, and I'm still trying to squeeze it, and um, trying to get, and and I think if I can do that, when you're a kid, you have these dreams, you know, and and you um, you're innocent, and you haven't been um, kind of tarnished by the outside world, and and the realities of, of all the bad things in life and and you dream big, you know, you really dream big and and I'd never discourage any kid to, to not dream big and, and I was no different, you know, I uh, I played tennis, I was playing fixtures at four years old because all my sisters played um, and still have that trophy, the youngest ever player to play fixtures at Laughs Tennis Centre and, <laughs> and um, that tennis centre no longer exists so I reckon I'm going to hold that one. That's and, cool. And No, but I think, you know, as a kid you – you dream of, of winning Grand Slams. You dream of being the best. Um, and and when you get a bit older, uh, you wise up a little bit, unfortunately, and you lose that innocence of youth and you start to realise, shit, this is tough. You know, you're sleeping on the floor of, a, of an airport because, you know, that would be a real waste of money to... Spooning your tennis rackets. Yeah, no, <laughs> you, you tie your laptop because you... <laughs> You know, I travel the laptops, you have to enter into a tournament. So that was one of my big spends as a kid. And um, you have your laptop around one leg, you tie your tennis racket because you don't want anything getting nicked, you know. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you can't get a decent night's sleep. So you're doing this and and um, and, and you're thinking to yourself, shit, what happened to the – those dreams were a little little different to what's playing out in reality. But um, so, so they changed a little bit and and – I really wanted to, to, to then, you know, what became the goal is to, to become the best bloody tennis player I could be. And um, whether that uh, made me a, a, a ATP 500 player, and, and if that was the max, that's the max, or whether that got me to, to number one in the world, you know, um, I could be satisfied with that. So that's kind of where the, the journey kind of started. And then, you know, there was a fair few hiccups post that along the way. But, but Bigger what, hiccups. Yeah. What what point is like was there a point when you were, you know, going through all this shit where you're, you know, sleeping in on train station floors and stuff like that? Was there a point where you got to and you're like, holy fuck, I'm I'm here. Yeah. Yeah, there was. And I'll um two thousand and and um thirteen, I I'm pretty sure it was two thousand thirteen, I have to check, but um, I had, I played Brisbane international, um, and I was playing against Andy Murray on center court there. And I took it to him and Andy was number two in the world at the time. And Thank God. Yeah. Buddy Murray. I, didn't, I didn't win. I didn't win, but I took it to him. Good. Um, he was number two in the world at the time and I lost in three really tight sets and you know, there's probably a little chance I got whitewashed in the first, but came back and. And I thought to myself, geez, I'm, I'm actually playing some pretty good tennis right now. You know, this is a culmination of of a lot of years of, of hard work and, and here it is. Um, that year I, I I started off pretty well, um, got a bit of momentum from from that match and, and uh, you know, won a challenger, which is just the one underneath the ATP Tour events. And I, I reckon I, I was in Munich and so that's just before, a few weeks before French Open and... I was 130 in the world. But in the year before, I'd played all club tennis the next four months. So I had no points to defend and I wasn't going to play that. And and in your head, as a tennis player, you want to get to top 100. 
you know, that's a significant milestone because your top 100, um, you're going to get into all the main draws of Grand Slams, which is, is where there's money at. And it's a nice round number, you know, top 100. You're a top pretty, 100 tennis player. Yeah. It's, a, it's, a, it's something in the tennis community that, and you know, oh, that guy's been a top hundred player. When you go for tri- from triple digits to doubles, it's a, like yeah. it's, a, it's a massive milestone. Sure. Yeah, yeah. Oh, you you talk about yeah. you were talking about that the juicing the lemon before, and I'm just like Bo Robinson. Yeah, Bo Robinson is like you know not about how big your lemon is, not about how much juice you yeah. get out of your lemon, but as as long as there's no nothing yeah. left in that lemon at for the sure. end of the day, that's all it's about. And you just yeah, no. and, and that's the thing. So I was going well. I was in Munich, and and I was thinking to myself, you know, this is it. Um, uh, TA had just announced that. I was going to get the wild card into the French Open. So because Tennis Australia has a Grand Slam, the Australian Open, um, they do a wild card swap. So uh, they have eight wild cards total. They'll swap one with the French Open and they'll swap one with the US Open. So um, they get those those federations get one into our tournament, we get one into theirs. So I was going to be main draw of French Open, Roland Garros, and, and I'm thinking to myself, oh, this is awesome. You know, first of all, I get a chance to play Roland Garros, which is one of the big four tournaments. Um, second of all, it's about 30,000 euros I'm going to get here, which is, you know, a really nice okay, injection. Just, uh, yeah, just for turning up? Just for turning up. Um, and it's a nice in- injection there because, you know, I can properly do the rest of the year. That'll set you, know? you up, yeah. Yeah, yeah, to an extent. Yeah. Um, it's not going to last forever. It's, it's, really it's, it's going to set you up for a bit yeah, to be like, I, yeah, I can keep you cracking know, on this yeah, year. For yeah, for the rest of the year I can invest in myself here, you yeah. know. And investing in myself, I mean, um, you know, spending the night at an airport hotel instead of on the floor. Yeah. Um, you know, eating decent. <laughs> so you know, it'd be, like a, it'd a, be a bit thing. of a weight off your shoulder, you think, fuck, this for is sure. – and also the fact that I was one thirty at the time. You know, I'm thinking <laughs> always there. Yeah, I'm thinking I'm, I'm I'm just about there. I'm playing good tennis. The federation had started supporting me um, because you know they'd obviously seen um, someone who's improved and 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 was getting better and and was showing a bit of promise, which is great. But to put it in a time perspective, you're saying it's 2013. You finished school 2005. Yeah, 2006. I finished school. 2006. So, yes, I mean, yeah, like, you know, I'm 23 at the time, but I've had one shoulder surgery. It's you know, it's taken a while. This that's, that's that imp- apprenticeship, and I, and I've been it's been a bit stop start with the club tennis and and you know this has taken its time. So this is a um, you know I'm I'm finally getting the fruits for my labour mm. and uh, I was playing in Munich. I'd qualified at that tournament and and it was. Um, really cold conditions and, and I went up and, and hit a server and overhead and geez, my shoulders started to get pretty sore. And so the next day I rock up for my main draw match and doing my warm up. It's about three degrees outside, heavy courts, heavy clay courts like mud. And um, I can hardly lift my arm up and I'm going, geez, what's going on here? You know, it's pretty tight. Um, went to Bordeaux after that, got some scans and they said, look, it's just bursitis. So that's like a, a blister in your shoulder. Um, I said, look, a bit of cortisone, um, whack it in, you know, just before the the match starts rolling Garros and she'll be right as rain. Um, but, you know, try to go down the route of, of avoiding the cortisone to begin with. Um, since then, I've never avoided cortisone. You know, just just, just fill me give up with this me. stuff. Give it to me. It's legal, so that's good, guys. I just want to say <laughs> that. Me. Yeah, give me a jab and, and, you know, I'll be good to go. So uh, Roland Garros comes around and – uh, it was just before qualifying draw was going to be made. Now, why that's significant, my shoulder was still really throbbing, you know, um, wasn't sleeping. And and just before the qualifying draw was going to be made and why that's significant is that um, 
once that draw gets made, if I was to pull out in main draw, because I was going to be in main draw with the wild card, um, a lucky loser would take my spot. So someone who lost last round qualies, name going, comes out of the, the hat. And, you know, obviously there's no guarantee that was going to be an Australian. So effectively, um, if my shoulder wasn't going to get any better um, and I pulled out, Australia, Tennis Australia would lose their spot um, and, and someone would lose the opportunity. An Australian player would lose an opportunity to, to play mm-hmm. a main draw over Grand Slam and that's a big deal. Um, but it was just bursitis. So I'm thinking, okay, we're good. So I go to get the injection um, and to get a scan just to double check where the bursa is. And um, they said, God, mate, there's, there's no sign of bursitis there, but you've got a torn labrum. Now, uh, a slap tear is – a slap repair surgery is, is really significant. You know, that's um, – in some people it's career ending. Um, your labrum's kind of the glue that holds your shoulder together and where my bicep a tendon attaches to my labrum um, was where I, I'd done the damage. And they said, look, we can still inject it and it will take away – it probably could take away the pain. Um, but it's not, it's a short term solution, but you might be able to get through the tournament or you might be able to get through a match. They were saying, um, so I'm in a bit of a conundrum here because it goes against everything I stand for to, to not, not give it my absolute everything when I walk out on the court. And if something can, my body stopping me from that, then, or if I had to serve underarm, for example, because literally I couldn't lift up my arm at that stage prior to the injection. Um, it was, you know, it was, it's going to be challenging. Uh, now, cortisone takes a little bit to kick in, so I didn't have that time to to to, to know if that was um, going to be an effective treatment. And then I had to make the decision: do I rescind the wild card and, and give up my dream of playing the Grand Slam, give up that money, um, or do I give it a crack? You know, um, do I put myself first and kind of give it a bit of a crack and, and give it a go? And um, I, I rescinded the wild card. And, and a guy called Nick Kyrgios ended up getting the wild card uh, in my place and kind of, you know, he took off his career after that and, and mine went the other way. You know, I was, I was cooked then. Um, I went home, tried to avoid a bit of surgery, but uh, it was inevitable that I was going to do it. Jimmy Fardoulis, who's operating on some great athletes up here in Queensland, did my operation and, um, and for the next kind of uh, 13, 14 months, I was on the sidelines and trying to get better, but I was um, – you know, I wasn't in a good way. I, I was doing my rehab. Um, a mate of mine um, could see I was struggling, so he actually gave me a, a bit of a job at, at his place in the in the city, a brokerage place. Um, you know, so I was doing a few cold calls and whatnot. Um, and, it, you know, it was tough. It was really tough. And I definitely doubted whether I was going to play tennis again, that's for sure. And, and I was probably just a pretty um, – Unhappy. Sorry, you get a bit morbid on us, but yeah, I was just a, I was a pretty unhappy person, you know. Um, I think uh, I didn't do a very good job. I broke up with my missus um, because, again, um, you know, I, uh, I wasn't sure um, if I was even going to get overseas again, and um, I think I, I did a pretty poor job of of talking that through. And I think as a as a, as a male. Um, you kind of you're not someone that wear. I'm not someone that wears the heart on the sleeve. Um, people would probably say I do when I when they watch me play because I'm quite energetic. But with the serious stuff, uh, you know, I'm probably quite reserved. And and you know, it was eating me away for sure inside. Um, oh, what happened? I uh, got to the end of the year, 
end of 2013 it would have been, and I was not in, in not in the best way. Um, and that was probably my own doing a little bit because I, I wasn't too expressive. And, and um, I remember I was walking home because there was a bit of a Christmas party at the place where I was doing a bit of work for. And I was walking home from Wool and Gabber. I was going to my folks' place at Norman Park. I was ro- walking along um, Kangaroo Point there. And, geez, I was a mess. You know, I don't know if it was the red wines because I had a few of them. But, um, yeah, look, I was uh, kind of someone who'd bagged, you know, all their emotions up. Um, you know, it was kind of my own own personal time there. And I was, um, yeah, I was really struggling. I, I probably identified, that was probably the moment I identified just how, how much I was struggling. And, uh, um, you know, I got home eventually and just went straight to the kitchen. Mum was there. And, um, yeah, geez, I, I broke down. You know, it was, uh, it was a moment where I showed a, a lot of vulnerability and, um, and I think my parents knew that I was doing it tough for sure, but they, they probably didn't know how tough I was doing it. And, you know, mum and dad's reaction was to um, y- y- let's be happy again, you know. And, and, I, and that was something that I identified that night. I said, shit, I don't even give a shit about the tennis anymore, you know. I don't give a toss about that, but – but I want to be happy because right now I'm going, I'm spiraling right so now. So is it a bit of depression? Yeah, like, oh, yeah, for sure, yeah, yeah. for sure. And it's, you look, it hasn't been the, the first time I've been depressed and it won't be the last because there's been moments down the track where probably, a, you know, probably a little bit of that, you know. Mm. Um, and Jay's walking along bloody kangaroo point cliffs, drunk, you know, a few reds, feeling like that's not where you want to no, be. No, it's not. It's really not. It's not. And look, there wasn't, there weren't those thoughts, but – there was definitely overriding thought of 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 um, of of just how kind of gloomy it had gotten yeah. for me. It probably um, just got to a point where it had just yeah, it was just a, a point where there'd been so many years. I mean, and you were so close. But I mean, it. I've got to go back to like you've got to like be admired for being able to say I'm not right and, and pull out of that. Yeah, you know what I mean. Because yeah. it would have been a lot easier for you to just chip away, go in, get beaten in the first round, collect your change, yep. and be like, oh, "I had an injury." But yep. mate, that's incredible to pull out of that to make that decision is unbelievable. Yeah, and look, it was it was definitely a, a tough decision. I'm not going to lie, but it's one that I look back on, and, and I'm quite proud of of what I did then. You know, I'm quite proud of 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 not putting myself first in, in an environment in tennis where you are very selfish. And, and I've been plenty selfish throughout, you know, my tennis career. There's no doubt about that. It's an individual sport. It's dog eat dog. And, and I've been definitely selfish, but yeah, look, I, I think, I think for me, it was figuring out um, what was going to, to kind of make me happy again, you know? And that was something that I'd spoken to mum about. Um, I, I I need to figure out, you know, what's going to make me happy again, and and we go back to 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 the lemon analogy, and and I think the reason why um, I was so unhappy was the fact that there was a lot of um, I felt like I hadn't reached my potential, you know, I felt like there was a fair bit of juice left, and I didn't have a clue if my shoulder was going to be good enough. I was very lucky to have very good physio and a very good strength and conditioning coach, um, who's now at the Lions, Dirk Spitz. Um, and I was very lucky to have a, a great family and, and Jimmy Fardulis, who did the operation on me, who, you know, he's the type of surgeon that would send me a message and say, mate, you know, keep at it. 
Ryan Harris just took five for at Lords and he had the same <laughs> operation for you, you know, and, and not everyone's like that. Yeah. And, and, and you know, that's a, t- a text that I remember getting from Jimmy, you know. That's awesome. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah. it's brilliant, you know, because we sometimes say that doctors' bedside manners aren't that great. Well, um, it wasn't the case for me. So I, um, I, th- I kind of thought that that's what would, would make me happy. So kind of a, almost a, a light bulb moment. And it, I wouldn't say it happened overnight, but – but I really set about what I was going to do to try to, to, to give myself one more chance to, to get back on track. And, and I really kind of just threw myself, I probably spent a little bit more, less time working and I really threw myself into, into doing everything possible. You know, I wanted to be an animal when I got back on court and, and I was good to go. And um, from then, um, probably... Uh, that trajectory kind of flipped on, flipped on its head a little bit, and I started to to rebound and and to to get back on track. and And it's amazing um, that shift, um, what that brought about, and, and the the fortunes that happened then. And um, I, I managed to. It, was, it took a while. It took a, a good eight months before, after that moment. So that's thirteen months total to to get back to a point where I thought, okay, you know, I am back now. Um, and I can, you know, I'm starting to play some good tennis again and, and the shoulder, I'm a lot more confident with it. And there was one last kind of defining trip for me that kind of kind of sealed the deal for me. And um, I was heading away to play three challenges uh, in, 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 the, in America, in California. And I had um, um, six grand in the bank account. That, that was it. I had 6,000 bucks in the bank account. Um, very lucky that there was an Australian coach and a very good friend of mine, Dave Moore, who um, helped me out over there. Um, his club actually paid for him to be over there and, and it was great to have a mate over there as well as a very good coach. And I I went on and, and knowing that this was probably my last crack because six grand doesn't get you too far. And it was, I had a, you know, you have to pay for your flight there. Um, and I made quarters, semis, finals in, in, in the three, three tournaments. And that was enough to beat Marcos Bagdadis on the way. And, and that was enough to, to kind of an injection of cash. About, I think I turned six grand into, into 15 or 16 grand. Lovely. Um, without the expenses, you know. Yeah, and, yeah. That, and, then, and then, you know, that was the expenses aside. So, like, all of a sudden I've, I've, I've got a chance. And my ranking – had really improved, and I finished the, the year winning two of those challenger events. And so, and so what? Just what's your ranking about this stage? There, yeah. So, well, I came back and it was just about nothing. So I, I didn't have a world ranking. Okay. Um, but I, I got on a bit of momentum, won two futures, did well in those challenges. Then I won two right at the end of the year, and all of a sudden, um, I'm back to where I was before. I'm about one thirty in the world, and you know, I've kind of exploded back. I got nominated. Um, for one of the comeback players of the year. I tell you what, there wouldn't be many people at home listening that would think someone that was 130th in the world for tennis had six grand in their bank account. Yeah, well, I wasn't before that tournament, but, you know, no, but, but by what, the end of the year, you know I was. I mean, like that's, yeah, 100%. Yeah, mate, that's like, holy shit, the work. Yeah. Like, you must have just been like, holy, like the mountain you had to climb again. Yeah, for sure, for sure. And, and, um, and you know, it wasn't long after that, um, because I had no points to defend because I was injured the whole next year. It did take a little bit longer because I was feeling that pressure going, this is my opportunity to make top 100. And I probably didn't. Um, I, I played played Roger 
uh, at the Australian Open. Was that uh, the first uh, time you uh, played? No, him? not at the Australian Open, at Brisbane International. Was yeah. that the first time you played him? Yeah, it was. So I played him. What is that mindset? So that was two, what, how do you, how do you go? How did, do you go out to play Roger Federer? And did you get his autograph? <laughs> <laughs> it was, yeah, it was funny because so um, I was in the change room underneath Pat Rafter Arena. You're in the change rooms and Roger's got his team there and I was just there by myself. And <laughs> He's got 30 minions running around. And oh. for whatever reason, um, I don't know whether it was because James Duckworth was fine, but for whatever reason, um, and I've never asked Roger this because Roger's uh, um, and his coach, I've actually had a very good relationship with them. And um, for whatever reason, him and his team, and it was it was so strange because Roger's a guy who speaks a thousand different languages and um, one of the more articulate guys you'll meet. Um, but he's got a bit of a playful side um, to him and he and his team were quacking like ducks in the change room. Literally and, quacking. Yeah, yeah. Like quack yeah, like yeah. this, you know. And I, it was one stage where he was at the, the notice board in the change room and I was kind of veering off because I was going to empty my guts because um, I was probably a bit <laughs> nervous at this stage. And I think he thought it was a a um, one of his teammates coming up behind him and he's – Held out this massive quack like a duck, and he's kind of turned around, like you know, oh, I got you to your teammate, and um, and it was me. He's like, Oh, you know, sorry, probably doesn't even remember oh, it. But sorry, I'm, wrong duck, but I've just yeah, but I've just gone, What is going on here? You know, um, that you know, I put up a bit of a fight, won the first set, I was up a break in the second, I probably should have beaten him, um, and sorry, a bit parched, yeah, and, and um, look, I was thinking to myself, This is you know. The shoulder, I wasn't even thinking about the shoulder anymore. Um, you probably money wasn't an issue anymore. And I was really thinking now, now this is it. This is the the this is the icing on the cake right now. During this match? Are you thinking oh, this? Not during the match. In the in the match you're quiet in the moment. Like but, are you thinking he's just another bloke? Oh yeah, hundred percent. When you play someone like that, I've always been someone that that doesn't I think tennis is great because you start off at zero all and you know, they might have unlimited funds to spend on team and, and that makes a massive difference for sure. Um, you know, Novak at Indian Wells in Miami last year, he had his own recovery bus. So it was a, a big bus that had all this recovery stuff in it. Um, you know, these guys have... Like massage lot, tables and you know, all this. I don't, no, I don't even know what was in it. <laughs> you know, everyone just gone, yeah, that's Novak's bus. Oh, that's normal. Um, and, and, you know, it is an advantage, but the one thing that... That does happen in tennis when you walk on the court. You start off at zero all, do the coin toss, try to win it, and and you. I've never been someone that wants to play someone's reputation because I think that that um, is doing a disservice to yourself. You know, you're already it's already going to be pretty tough for you because they're pretty good, and you, you don't want to go out there and, and do any type of disservice and, and give yourself any type of handicap out there. You know, you want to go out there and 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 give it a a really good shake. So. It did take a – after that, um, I would have loved to have cracked it a little quicker, but it did take another five, six months when I actually qualified for Wimbledon. So I wasn't even thinking about the top 100 because that came a bit of a thing in my head. Oh, I've got to get to top 100, got to get top 100, and the results probably weren't quite coming. Um, and I qualified at Wimbledon. So at Wimbledon's the only Grand Slam where you play qualifying offside. It's actually at a cricket field um, down in Roehampton. Because, you know, we're not good enough to play at Wimbledon. They say it's because we shred up the courts, but, uh, you know, quite elitist. And um, 
it's also last round qualifying. You're playing five sets of tennis, so best of five sets. So that's a little bit different too because normally last round qualies is still the best of three until you get to the main draw. And you go from in qualies where you've got to blow up, um, you know, kids' pool with a bit of ice in it for your ice baths. You're eating in a tent and stuff. And then all of a sudden you qualify. Um, and with that actually coincided my, my first entry into that top 100, which was so significant to me back in the day. But um, I finally qualified for Wimbledon and I was thinking to myself, this is unbelievable. And and it was, you know, it's it's the... It's the Lords for cricket. It's the Augusta for golf. Um, you know, Wimbledon is is hallowed hallowed ground for a mm. tennis player. Um, so I got on the blower. Mum was a few wines deep. She was a bit drunk. <laughs> she was with her sister and they were following the life. So mum doesn't and mum gets nervous. Um, yeah, whites and Wimbledon don't go well with mum because she, she gets really nervous. And um, and my old man, you know, is proud as punch and, and – um, Got them on the blower. Got them on a flight over there to to get over to Wimbledon to to come watch me play some tennis and and um, yeah, that coincided with me being in the top hundred and and probably after that, really establishing myself as you know what I deemed as a as a worthy tennis player. Did you grow confidence through yeah. getting to that hundred? You were like, oh, your chest. Yeah. I'm here now. Like I was poor, poor relief than anything else. You know, a lot of relief because you know. Um, the, the sacrifices in, yeah. that you've made, but not just the sacrifices you made, but the sacrifices that that those people around you, your friends, um, who have been incredible support for me. I've got some great mates who have really supported me along the way. Um, I've got a great um, family who have never, I've never felt any pressure or expectation from them, and um, I've had some really significant um, people who have have helped me along my tennis journey, helped me with my game. And, um, you know, there's a lot to, to mention, but I, I won't go there. But just a, a, a it's a relief because um, you weren't so stupid to, to think that you could, you know, do something in the, in the sport, you know, and, and and you want those sacrifices to, to amount to something, you know. You'd mm. be lying to say, oh, no, it's just all about the journey or whatever because you – you put in work because you do want it to amount to something. And, and that was um, a really special moment and kind of really um, was just good positive reinforcement for, you know, a lot of toil and, and, and a lot of struggle. Mate, that's absolutely <laughs> incredible. Like you must have had like along the way there, you know, in all those years between graduating and, you know, all those injuries and you, like with your family and mates – did you ever think that they were kind of – were they ever worried that you were going to fail? Like did you get – you know, were they sort of like looking out thinking, oh, God. Yeah, you did know, you ever John, feel like, shit, like they, they don't have my back as much as they oh, did but, but three not, years? But it, not like, back, but you know what I mean? Like they're not supporting me. They're not there as much. It's sort of come off a bit. But, and they yeah. must have been scared that you weren't – you know, they, they must have been worried that, you know, this might not happen for you. And and, and you know what? I think that that's um, something that I can say I never really felt that. And, I, and I'm, I'm extremely grateful for that. Um it annoyed me sometimes, mum. She'd go, you know, John, you just don't want any regrets. You know, that's a uh, – Thanks, mum. And I'm like, yeah, you know, you don't know how hard it is. You know, it's really tough. <laughs> you come out and serve um, it. And, and I think they always had belief in me and they just – I think they just – the one thing I think that they really wanted um, was for me to share that same belief. And, and it's easier said than done because, you know, when, when you're overseas and you're grinding away – um, you know, you're away from, from a comfortable environment. It's, um, you, you, you do question 
you know, how good you are or, or, or you know, if it's all worth it. You and you must feel super alone a lot of times. Like yeah. it would be one thing if you were walking out on a pat raft yeah. arena every single match, yeah. you know what I mean, with family around the yeah, corner. Yeah, don't but think of that, do you? To be travelling away yeah. all the time, I mean, you know, you're dealing with a lot, you know, of, 100%. of travel, sleep, just being in a different mm. – eating different food. Yeah. Like I would – like do you get to eat – when you're away travelling, do you eat the same stuff – that you eat when you're at home, or you got to eat, you know, like local food. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, you nowadays, um, and the tournaments I'm playing, you, you get fed like champions. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. you get fed like kings. You can have whatever you want. But early on, it was just, you know, it, it's Straight really food. well. It was, yeah. yeah it was, well, it really depended on on how you were going because mm. if you weren't going well, then you'd kind of um, go really cheap, as cheap as you can. And if you were going well, you 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 treat yourself. Yeah. Um, uh, I remember I'd, I'd like actually playing in Italy because you could get like a margarita pizza and honestly for, for – and really good. And back then, you know, this was a while ago, you get it for like €2.50 for like a proper good pizza, like €3 Euros max. And, and if you won, you might toss in a, a few mushrooms on top, you know. So, but that <laughs> Treat you'd yourself. Eat, you'd eat your best then in, in places like that, but it's not always like that. Um, but I guess, I guess you know, I suppose my kind of point is that you're, you're away from yeah. every, oh. all the comforts and you've just got to adapt. And, and that's what makes tennis really tough. And that's what in Australia we – some of our players really struggle with that concept because in, in Australia you really don't have the opportunity to stay in the country and play tennis. You, you can't do mm. it. It doesn't work like that. Yeah, so. I suppose if you're European, <clears throat> you're pretty much home you're a home. lot of the time. Yeah, you, you know, you can spend seven, eight months at yeah. – at least in Europe, you know, yeah. I train right away from being home. And in, in when you come from, when you herald from Australia, you can't do that. You know, it's it's five months on the road. It's six months on the road. What what about? We'll get to the Federal match in a second, but I, I wanted to <laughs> I wanted to ask about like your support network when you're on the road, right? Like, do you have blokes that you've met that are in the top 100 that you're sort of hanging out with, and you're at tournaments, and you're going and catching up with, and and you know, vet not vetting, but you know talking with one another and explaining like shit you're going through. Like have you got a support network that yeah. you, you have? No, not really. Not, not in terms of that because I don't think you want to show much vulnerability, you know, and, 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 but you do, you do build connections and you do build, um, uh, people that you, you want to spend a bit more time around. Um, like, al- like other players or just, yeah, that but I've, I've always kind of tried to, I mean, um, for myself to, to kind of keep saying I, I like having a bit of an outlet, so I've always tried to to kind of separate the tennis world and and the and my social social world. You'd okay. have to that for your own sanity, yeah. I reckon. Actually, well, a lot you? of people, you know, a lot of people that you know that's all they've known because a lot yeah. of these guys have have quit school young, yeah. and, and and that's been something that's been really important for me. Um, but yeah, look, when you're on the tour. Um, there's definitely people that you you want to spend a little more time with, and there's guys that you probably don't want to spend as much time with. And 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 on the flip side too, there's also guys that you want to be spending time on the court with and practicing with because um, you're trying to surround yourself with like-minded people. People who put in shifts every time and reliable every time they walk out on the court, and the guys who, who aren't. So. Um, yeah, look, you build the little networks and the, and probably the little social circles that you're trying to to hang around with. But probably when I finish playing tennis, um, more so I'll probably gravitate towards, you know, that social group that I've got outside of, of the tennis circles. Yeah. How important do you reckon that, that is 
like just that bit there, just getting away because there's so much tennis, so much training, so much devotion just all the time to yeah. that. Like it must just be such a like let off that valve yeah. just to get away from and, it a and bit. And, you, and then you probably don't want to talk about yeah. it really. Uh, with, like with we're doing right. better right now. No, no <laughs> I, I think it's it's important to have um, releases, yeah. you know. You, you Otherwise you get engulfed in 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 – all this white noise in your head. So, you know, and, and it's as simple as for me, I would have loved to have studied a little more on the road, but it's, it's just almost impossible when you're traveling 40 something weeks a year, because you can't get to the testing centers when yeah. tests come around. So it's something I'd like to do down the track, but um, you have your releases, you know, I play my fantasy football. There's other sports that I like watching, uh, you know, to the extent that sometimes I'll, you know, I'll travel with a PlayStation or something, you know, just, just something that, um, when it's on, um, when when you're at the courts, it's all about the tennis. But when you get back to your hotel room, you just want to have that release. You want to switch off. Yeah, yeah. you want to be able to switch off. It. And it's really important to kind of um, not just, you know, obviously um, you've got to almost train um, your physical body to uh, – you've got to train that, that mental side just as much. So what I mean by that is – you get sore playing tennis, you know. You're not getting the hits that you are in rugby, but constant pounding on the pavement. Um, your body takes a battering. Um, you, your seasons are really long and, um, you, yeah, it's, it's tough on the body. Uh, and people probably don't realise that. So when you're a, away from the court, you, you're spending a lot of time trying to get your body right. So whether that's ice baths, um, seeing the physio, uh, doing all your – your rehab and prehab and injury prevention stuff in the gym, you're doing a lot to try to maximize your potential once you get on the court and trying to be as fresh as possible once you get on the court. Um, it's just as important to to devote a bit of time to, to that mental side too. And so, you know, when I'm away from the court, I want to kind of freshen things up a little bit. I, I might want to create a little bit of variety. Uh, variety. Um, some of my training sessions have a bit of variety in them. You know, I'll go – to Tui Forest and I'll do stair runs or, or hill climbs instead of just spending that whole time on the court just to have that little bit of release um, mentally also. And it's just as important. I, I wanted to ask you about your training and stuff. Like have you, you've obviously get, gotten to a point where you're probably, I don't know, I'm just guessing here, right? But I'm just, you're not probably learning more about what you need to do with your tennis. You're probably more learning about the opponents and what their – is that how you do it? Like their weaknesses and your – targeting that rather than to make an improvement in your game? is that- I think once you get into the tournaments, you're trying to be quite specific. And, and when you know your matchups, you um, might go through a few drills with your coach to, to how you're going to execute that. And, and you might, every time you formulate a bit of a game plan to, to maximize your strengths against their weaknesses yeah. for sure. But for something, uh, the reason why I'm probably still playing tennis, I'm 31 right now. Um, doesn't get any easier. Uh, you know, there's no doubt in my mind that I'll have to have hip surgery down the track, like not during my career, but, you know, to be able to walk. And you know, you have to see some of our older tennis coaches and just how physically demanding it is on the body. So um, there's that. Um, but the reason why I am still playing is I do – and what I've enjoyed the most and, and the most challenging part about the, the tennis for me is is – I just want to keep making little improvements. So during this time, there's little tactical things that I feel as if, if I can implement to my game, 
I can go and 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 increase my probability of winning. So I'm still looking for little improvements because that's what I. Uh, it's like that lemon, you know. I still think there's a tiny <laughs> bit more juice left, and there's going to be a time when when that's not the case. My coach used to say, Gary Stickler, um, you know, I'd be moping, I'd be 200 in the world or whatever, and something wasn't working on the practice court back here. And he'd say to me, and I'd just be getting pretty pissed off. And he'd go, mate, like, look, I can understand you're getting pissed off. He goes, but imagine being 200 in the world and not having anything else to improve on. You know, you'd be, you'd be in a bit of trouble, it's you know, because, isn't it? yeah. because you've maximized your potential there. Yeah. And so I think that um, I, I've, I've, I thought about that and, and I really did, you know, it, it resonated with me thinking, you know, like he's right. You know that that would be that would be terrible to be two hundred in the world and and I've reached hit my potential. Yeah. yeah, I've hit my ceiling exactly because we all have a floor, <laughs> we all have a ceiling, and um, yeah, that's that's something that I've had to remind myself many times throughout my career that you know, okay, this isn't working, but how good will it be when it when it does work? You know, Mate, that's an impressive mindset. Is that like so when you go from when you you go your big goal is to break the top 100 yeah. there, but then, you know, it's now, is it kind of a thing that happened when you matured? Like, at the, you know, as you mature, you know, it starts to become about the little improvements and the little things that you want to do day to day rather yeah. than that big goal of, you yeah. know, yeah. No, for sure it does. And um, yeah, you want to make those because, because right now I'm not going to get something that's going to give me a 10% improvement, you know, and, and I know it's very cliche, but you talk about those little one percenters and, and that's what I'm working on. You know, these tiny little incremental, um, changes that I can make, whether it's tactical, physical, um, whether it's even, um, stuff that I'm doing off the court to make me that tiny bit fresher when I get on the court. Um, it's just trying to find those little increments that are going to make those tiny differences, um, and if you do enough of that, then you can might get to that 10%. Have you ever like gone and picked the brains of any of the, you know, your Rogers or your Novaks, any of that? Like, do you ever like have a quick yarn with them and ask them? I suppose you don't really, because it's so competitive and you don't want to show any yeah. vulnerabilities, like you said, like just Pro- to pick, you know, yeah. the things that they do well. And, yeah. you know. I mean, I'm looking at them a lot Yeah, you know, I'm looking at, you know, Novak's got one of the best returns. Yeah. Uh, what's he doing yeah. that, that allows him to pick up the ball and, and how's he able to neutralize that shot so well? You know, mm. someone serve. That's normally one of their biggest strengths. Like say John Isner, yeah, this guy's you know about twenty foot tall, and 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 Novak <laughs> manages to neutralize that. that serve. But, yeah. So I'll be watching a bit of footage with that. Um, but I probably more so lean towards you know in Davis Cup camp someone like Orochi who's yeah yeah who's coached Roger. You know he's coached Ivan Lendl, he's coached Rusty, he's coached Leighton, he's um. Coach Paddy Rafter, I'll be trying to soak up every little bit of, yeah. um, you know, knowledge that he has. You know, I'll be trying to squeeze that sponge dry that he has. And someone like a Leighton, you know, he's someone that obviously I'm, I'm going to talk to and, and, and ask, you know, those questions, you know, what are you seeing in my game? What can I get better? I think that that's really important. But probably my peers, not so much, but those guys that have been there and done it, um, that I have a lot of respect for, and that's probably something that – um, when you go into Davis Cup camp, I really look forward to because it it's just the an opportunity to to get better yourself uh, and learning from the best. How does it work like with Davis, like Davis Cup, and you know, obviously Leighton, you know, is the coach now. Like, does he get to? I mean, I know there's a lot of history with the Davis Cup, but does he get to? 
influence, you know, you guys a lot or is there sort of like a set kind of way things have sort of always been done and it's kind of just the job to guide everyone along like that? Do you know what I mean? Um, Leighton's someone that has had tremendous success uh, with whoever he's identified since he's finished playing tennis. He's, you know, he, he really took a um, – he really guided Alex Dimina through that transition from juniors to seniors and did an incredible job with it. Uh, he's helped a lot of, um, you know, Jordan Thompson to make that transition. Um, the Davis Cup, how it's set up is is he's the captain, so he makes the, the call as to who goes. Uh, sometimes, you know, there's five people in the team. Sometimes he'll want to take a sixth player and you'll be playing off for your spot throughout that Davis Cup camp, which is it's tough. Um, but, you know, I, I think he respects people that, that always put their hands up to play for their country because not everyone does it these days in tennis. You know, it's, it's not something, um, you know, for someone like myself, um, it's just a non-negotiable. If I get the call up, I'm going to go, you know, I want to be there. Injury or otherwise? <laughs> well, you know, I'll tell them if I'm injured. Yeah. But, you know, I'd pick up balls for them, you know, because uh, it's the opportunity to, to – to make an impact on an Australian team. I think that's awesome. I, yeah. I think obviously Leighton is a grinder himself and would just respect, I mean, you're but a grinder, that was his, clearly. that was his yeah. thing. That yeah. was Leighton's thing. He just yeah. he chased everything, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like just how he played and I suppose, yeah, it's obviously the mindset he's still got now with coaching. It's just, yeah, did, always, always in. Did you ever fear failure? Oh, for sure. Oh, yeah, for sure. It's How um, does that look? Like, Because you don't see that. Yeah, I mean, there's constant times and I think that that's what, when we said about, you know, those, those support networks that you have and, and that positive reinforcement that they give you, because um, there's plenty of times where you doubt yourself, you know, and there's plenty of times where the anxiety levels are high because, you know, you, you don't think you're good enough. And, and that's... How that, does it to beat that demon? Yeah, I mean, I think, it, I think it's something that... Um, it's, it's, it's a tough one to put your finger on it exactly. Um but, you know, even when I play, I, I, I think it's all about reinforcement, positive reinforcement. Um, if you can't get it from within, try to get it from the networks that you've set up around you. Uh, you know, be vulnerable and, and have those frank discussions because if you've done a good job with those support networks, you know, they're going to pick you up when you're down. And, and I say that a, mm. a sign of a good supporter for me is not someone that's just there during the times when, you know, you're, you're causing an upset on, on Arthur Ashe, but it's a time when you're, you know, walking home from, from a bit of a, a drunken night and you're feeling sorry for yourself so that they're there to pick you up. Like for me, that's really important. And, and, but you know, I, I really want to stress that it's all about that reinforcement, even on my frames. Um, you know, I put some tape on there and I've got messages on my frames that, um, my racket frames on the inside of the throat um, that is just about positive reinforcement. You know, one of them says, believe in yourself, you know. Another one says, be kind to yourself, you know, <laughs> because because you can be so critical of yourself and you can kind of get so um, – you can lose track of, of all that's come before you and, and where you've put yourself into a position. Last year uh, I was in Monte Carlo and uh, – I was playing tennis there. And Monte Carlo is one of the toughest tournaments to get into. It's a small draw. Um, you've got the best clay quarters in the world playing. And people want to play in Monte Carlo because it's, you know, it's, 
it's Monte Carlo. It's cool. Yeah, it is. It is. You walk to dinner and you're walking along the Formula yeah. One track that they're building at the time normally because, you know, that's in that's a timing. non-COVID world. Mm. That's the timing of it all. And I remember being there and I lost to Bautista, which isn't a bad loss, and, and he's in my number for a little bit. But um, remember the, the days that followed, for whatever reason, I wasn't happy with my body. I was struggling with my body. I'd, I'd torn something in my foot. And I was just a bit miserable, you know. I was, I, I was just. I mean, this is, you know, yeah, I was miserable. And, and, and I remember standing up on the practice court up the top, and I'm thinking to myself, "Geez, John, you're in Monte Carlo, like, you know, there's the, the Riviera there, and, 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 and things aren't that bad. Yeah, <laughs> really, it's not. But, but you know, with, with success, um, you know, there's other pressures now. You know, it's my job now. Um, I, there's no doubt about it. I like making money now. You know, it's it's nice to 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 make money, and, and with that, you know, there there are stresses with it. You want to always be on top of your ranking, so you, you get another chance to play a Wimbledon. So it's yeah. constantly That's, working like that. And I think something um, I, I remember Tennis Australia got um, Joe Ingalls to 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 talk to the group of players, and I remember something that. Uh, um, I didn't get to ask him and I'd love to ask him down the track because he was saying he was playing for Barcelona, the, the basketball team, FC Barcelona, they have a football team, but they also have a handball team, they have a basketball team too. So they all FC Barcelona, are they? Yeah. Oh, they had the same colours <laughs> yeah, and, and it's one of the strongest basketball teams in Europe, mm. you know, and um, yeah, I should have been proud of where he was and he said, look, I probably didn't make the most of my time there because the whole time I was thinking – want to get to the NBA, you know, this is, you know. A stepping stone. A stepping stone. And and he said, I didn't appreciate those moments then when I probably should have a bit more. And what I really was curious to to kind of pick his mind, and I'm still searching for the answer, is do you ever get satisfied? Mm. So when he, he, he goes and gets the contract with the Utah Jazz and he's playing in the NBA, um, are, you, are you satisfied now? Because... For myself, I think um, throughout my career, it's always been what's the next thing. And I don't think that'll actually stop personally until I hang them up and then I go, okay, I can, you know. But what, then now what's the next thing? Yeah, exactly. And then, and then there'll, be other, but, there'll be other stresses. But in terms of the tennis, it'll be like, I gave it a crack. Yeah. I, I, I squeezed the lemon dry, which is what I want to do. And gave it a red hot crack. Yeah. And, and but, but it's that, it's that it's a really tough one for me even now to, to get my head around of, of being satisfied because um, there's always uh, your mind plays tricks on you and, and you're constantly questioning if, you know, if, if this is, if this is the light at the end of the t- tunnel, is this, is this the, the treasure at the, you know, at the end of the rainbow, you mm. know, you, you, and I think it's, it's probably a, a, an everyday thing that I think a lot of people, hundred percent, whether it's in sport or everyday life are, are, are facing that. And I think that that's probably, um, you know, I think you're ultimately winning when you can go, man, I'm satisfied, you know, cause it's a thing that I don't think too many people, um, <laughs> Can say oh, no, yeah, I'm it, satisfied with it. You oh. know, everyone's got stresses. Uh, you know, they're looking after a kid, or, yeah. or there's always going to be something else. You know, yeah. like those satisfying moments, yeah. they are just like, yeah, it's just a. I think about footy teams who lift yeah. the trophy up. You know yeah. what I mean? And then when they're there, like that is yeah. the satisfying moment. Yes. And then there's a couple of weeks, you know, where you obviously you know turn it on a fair bit, and but then you get out and you start thinking about pre-season yes. that's gone you'll yeah. always remember that but it's like but, well yeah. yeah even when i uh, 
I beat Roger at, at, at Arthur Ashe. That's why, yeah. We, that's <laughs> where, this, this is where we <laughs> want. But yeah, I'm thinking, it. you know, I finished that. and Please and tell me you quacked at him. <laughs> yeah, I didn't quack. Oh. I didn't quack. I, I actually love Roger. I love him. Mate, and who doesn't? Yeah, no. He's, he's Does everyone on the circuit love him? Yeah, I think they do. You How know, can you but, not? but also he's. You know, we God, see. God, Roger. We see what dreamboat. <laughs> <laughs> and those bloody Bastilli fucking pasta ads he yeah. does. They're fabulous. Oh, yes, no, and <laughs> and we see what he's. Um, we see what Tiger's done for golf. Well, Roger's done that for tennis. You know, he's 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 bought in all these big sponsors through tennis. So probably more so the top end have have and and something that I, you know, struggle with, is that. Tennis is so top-end heavy and, you know, the 99% of people, you know, are missing out. But he definitely has brought in money to that top end and, and the guys at the top end are, are definitely benefiting because of him, because yeah. of Roger. But <laughs> I don't think Roger's wife ever put a tennis racket through his <laughs> through his windscreen, though. Did she? No, no, <laughs> she didn't. No, 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 no I don't think, no. <laughs> uh, no. But I, I want to ask you about, yeah, that that match in 2018, um, I've just looked it back up because I didn't want to make a balls up of the, no, of the right. score. But, I mean, like, in the first set you went down 6-3, yes. right? So you've obviously gone out there. It's love all at the start of it. You're down 6-3 in the first set. What's your mindset at the end of that first set? Like, what what do you do? Nil all. Yeah. Got well, are you, back to, are you well, back to square one in your head? Well, first of all, um, you're playing on Arthur Ashe, which is the biggest stadium that we have in tennis. Uh Seats a lot of people, um, Americans in general, especially in New York, are quite brash and, and rowdy. And when they don't think it's much of a match, um, they're chatting and, you know, they're having all their conversations. The next year I played Rafael Nadal first round and Rafa's bloody tough and he had my number. He went on to win the tournament. Another and, freak. And, and the crowd, yeah, yeah. and the crowd, the crowd, you know, they, they're not so engaged in it. You know, they just want to – get their selfie pictures and, and put on their Instagram that they've been at Arthur Ashe. Anyway, so I was lucky in that the only other time I'd hit on that court was um, prior to the tournament, Andy Murray um, asked me if I'd do a practice session with him on, on Arthur Ashe. And I'm like, yeah, of course, you know, that was awesome. And it was a really good session. Andy was battling with his hip, but it was awesome to um, to have that experience on that court. So wasn't all that foreign, but when you do walk out there, and it's a packed Arthur Ashe. It's a it's a little bit different, and you're under the lights. Um, Do you feel alone? Do you feel like it's you just you're lonely out there um, on your own? No, you don't, because this is what you play for. You know, this is so you're soaking it all up. You're just like, yeah, I think you are. I mean, there's nerves. Yeah, yeah, huh. and I'd be lying if I said there wasn't any nerves because you're uh, you're feeling the pressures and and you want to make a match of it. I'd been lucky. I'd trained earlier that year with Roger, actually, at um, Jorge Lehman's house, one of the, you, you know, richest blokes in the world. He has a grass court that um, we managed to hit on, which was awesome. Cheers, um, Jorge. Yeah, um, which was awesome. And so I, 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 I had experience with Roger. So I knew what to expect with his ball, which is good. Played him before at the Brisbane International. Um but look, Roger came out playing really good tennis. You know, he he won the first set, just the one break, but played really well. He actually served for the second set. And the one thing in the back of my mind is I'm not going to go away from the fight. I might lose it and I might lose it in straight sets, but I'm going to give it a crack. But you're up and, for it. Oh, oh, definitely. And I'm up for pretty much every match. Look, I'm not going to say every single match because... Um, you have off I'd days. Be, yeah, you have off days. And, and for whatever reason, you're... 
you didn't engage and, and that hurts the most. Those days hurt the most when you walk off the court and you go, man, I, I, I didn't feel like I did myself proud there or all the family proud. And it doesn't happen too often with me, um, but it has happened. Uh, but generally speaking, I can rely on that because I have a mantra that I'm going to control the controllables. And, and for me, I'm going to bring a, a physical brand of tennis. Unless my body breaks, I'm going to bring that. Um, so I'm going to control my physicality that I bring to the court and I'm going to control that mindset I bring to the court and, and engage in a battle. So he served for the second set, um, managed to get out of that. And, and sport's funny because momentum's really tough to get when you haven't got it. But when you do have it, you can, you can kind of cruise it and you can ride mm. it for a while. <laughs> so managed to win that set and, and then, uh, you know, we've got a game of it now and, and, and the crowd started to believe a little bit more and more often than not, you're, you're not the favourite because um, everyone everyone, wants, Roger. everyone loves yeah. Roger. Yeah. Um, but like, even if you were there, you probably would want Roger to win. <laughs> yeah, Danny. <laughs> I mean, yeah. 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 It was like Could you blame the, me? Yeah. Like? <laughs> it was like at the Australian Open. Um, didn't have a fan there. Bullshit. Uh, really? I, no, I had fans, but I think more people want Roger to win than me for sure. Um, oh, but, that's interesting. Oh no, yeah. Look, you, you kind of expect it a little bit, especially in a corporate crowd like like it can get <laughs> at, at Rod Laver. It is, you know, yeah. tickets are expensive, and um, you know you can go play on Hyacinth or it's called Melbourne Arena now, where everyone's drunk and it's just general admission. So you play that night session, yeah. and mm. you know it's it's rowdy. That's why Nick likes playing on it so much. But <laughs> um, yeah, look, I managed to to turn the the tide a little bit and. And pretty quickly, you know, you've got that belief. And and I'd won matches to get there. I'd won three matches to get there. Um, beat Fabio Fognini on the way, who's a really good Italian player, a bit of a, a, a firecracker. Yeah, but yeah. He's, you'd be, I'd been playing good tennis to get there. And um, Geez, that's a great name, isn't it? Yeah. Side note. Yeah. <laughs> Sponsored by Emporio Armani, he oh, is. You know, <laughs> yeah, as you'd imagine, he's got the strut yeah, you know, yeah. in his Emporio Armani outfit. Um but look, it was it's it's it, it was it was a fun match. It was I was probably one of the the biggest things I remember from it because I don't remember a whole lot. Um, was the calmness I felt because when you get close to the finish line, one of the the toughest things is running through it. Yeah, especially against these top players because they find ways to win. That's why they've won all these Grand Slams. That's why they're so successful. Um, and you want to kind of run through the finish line, but they're going to make it really tough. So you fe- like, were you fe- sort of fearing getting to that not, match point? Not fearing, but you were anxious well, about it. You are like, well, holy shit. Well, normally you probably would be. And this is, you know, that's a normal reaction to have. And this is probably what was – and, again, even at the Australian Open, for whatever reason, um, and at the USO, I felt quite calm. And, and what happens when you, you can get a bit anxious or those nerves start to kick in, um, your legs feel like jelly – you know, that's a pretty common thing. And, and, and what happens then is you stop thinking clearly and, and you're not going through your thought processes. But if you can engage in a calm state, um, almost a meditative state, um, which for whatever reason, I don't know why, I was very calm, uh, your, your thought processes are really clean and clear. And it was probably, it sounds silly to say because of just how good a player he is and, and he'll be long remembered after he stops playing and long remembered after I stopped playing. Um, it was probably him that was probably feeling it a little more, you know, for sure. He threw in a double fault or two in, in big moments and 
And for me, there was no fear there at all. I was I was very calm, cool, collected. And and then when I won the the match, I, you know, I was I was probably a little bit relieved, but it was just uh, I was probably thinking about the football draft. Yeah, mate, that's incredible. And an interesting thing I heard you say was like you don't really remember it. Yeah. Well, you don't. It's it's the exact same as I, I look back at the Olympics, which was one of the best things I've ever been able to do is to represent my country at Davis Cups to, to get my number. I remember the meeting there um, that I had with Leighton and Stoltz to, to say you're going to play um, day one against Belgium in the semifinals against Gothen in Belgium um, and you're going to be number 108, um, which means I'm the 108th player to play for their country at Davis Cup, which is pretty cool. You think of... Got your number. How, yeah. yeah, and so so that'll actually go in on this arm for sure. That's going to happen. Um, but uh, the other moment, of, the Olympic Games, and, and just before walking out into the to the Maracana, um, which is where the opening ceremony was, Anna Mears is our flag bearer, an unbelievable Queenslander. I don't know her personally, but, you know, so much respect for her. Um, and you're in this tunnel, Argentina. We're about to walk out onto into the Maracana and and they start doing all their football chants, the 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 athletes and oh, the, the place is shaking. We're about two countries back from them, but you can see some light at the end of the tunnel and and they, man these chants sounded amazing. They all know it and and we're just about to walk out after they've gone. I've got goosebumps. You know the hairs are standing on end. A little bit embarrassing, the Aussie, 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 after hearing these football chants. So we've like, got, mate. Yeah, it's all we've it's got. It's a bit disappointing. <laughs> like, would have loved, like, a, I don't know, like a, uh, like a, a waltzing a, Matilda, <laughs> anything, you know, like an I am, you are, we are Australian. And even we Bunny all know the Burke's words. Backyard theme song yeah. would have been enough there, yeah, you know. But, <laughs> It would have, but, but, you know, the Aussie, 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 um, led by our, our women rowers, I think, um, didn't quite hit the mark, but... It'll do. But um, it's funny because in those big moments, and, and this is probably I've gone off on a different tangent, but in those big moments you don't remember too much. So you remember little things, um, but then as soon as I walked out into the bright lights, it was just... You know, Bang. Don't That's, remember a thing. Well, they're always saying, like, you I, know... You I honestly, honestly don't remember a thing. It's, everyone always saying, soak it up, make sure you soak it up, like, soak up the moment, you know what I mean? Yeah, That's and I didn't want to have my, my camera out. Like, I took a couple of snaps, but it was just... Yeah, it's one of those moments that that you you know was special, but... Yeah, cool, You man. don't remember a whole lot. And then that's the same probably that night when I played against Roger. It was... I don't remember a whole lot. Wouldn't have a clue. There'd be people that know more of the big points that I played. Um, but... And it'll be something down the track. I don't really want to watch it now, but down the track I'll probably rewatch <laughs> it. You haven't watched it back? No, I haven't. I haven't. Um... My old man watched it for the first time the other night. He didn't watch it live. But why would you know? Oh, uh, what? No, he was teaching. Oh. <laughs> um, he watched it the other night because a family friend of ours, Cotton Bob, he um, had it recorded. Just, Did you say Cotton Bob? Yeah, yeah, he's a legend. Yeah. <laughs> Bloody yeah, he's, yeah, he's like an absolute legend. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, wow. That is incredible. My God. Do you ever do you ever think like back to like in those kind of moments, like walking out in, at the Olympics, back to, you know, that – low moment where you're injured and you've, you know, come home pissed, you know, and you're probably in a complete heap. Like, do you reflect on that? Yeah, for sure. I think you do. I think you, you do remember significant times in your journey and that was a significant time. And as was the Olympic games, as was having the chat saying that you're going to be playing Davis cup, as was, 
um, getting an upset win on Arthur Ashe and joining the last eight club, which is um, a, a club for people who have made quarterfinals or better. That um, gives you all different perks down the track. Um, <laughs> you know, there, there, there are little moments that you have tiny little snapshots in your head that that you you visit and you'll probably visit a long time after you 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 finish playing tennis. And actually that's probably what I – not necessarily the really bad times, but um, I think the biggest goal is to have little snapshots in your head that you can reflect on um, when you finish. And, and there are certain ones that, mm. that are pretty special. Are you grateful for that? Yeah. To have oh, that? Yeah, 100%. 100%. That's all perspective right there, isn't it? All yeah. of that. Yeah. 100%. You know, and the journey hasn't been easy. But it's um, it's had its ebbs and flows for sure. But I think there is there is a sense of pride. I think, and and I think that that's pretty cool. And there's a, there's definitely a sense of pride in um, when when my old man talks, and he's never been you know a crazy tennis parent, but there is a sense of pride when he's talking to his mates, and and I think that that's actually pretty cool because you know um, for me getting the the tick of approval. Um, from your folks is the most important thing, and, and I think I got that, so that's pretty cool. You're going to write one hell of a book one day. <laughs> no, no one will read it, though. Yeah, mate, I have to win a slam. No mate, one will read it. Well, what that, that probably comes like to – I don't want to say my last question because I could talk – we could talk all day, but, I mean yeah, – we still got a little bit here. Yeah. I think mean, we can get, I mean, we can get a bit I, out I mean, what, what is, Squeeze that lemon. What is the, the uh, mindset and goal setting going forward for you now? Yep. You know what I mean? Like you've made the quarterfinals in the US Open. Yep. Like what is the next thing for you? Where are you striving to achieve? Every time you you enter into a big tournament um, and, and playing the smaller tournaments are, are stepping stones to whether it's to uh, whether you're using them as a lead up to, to say the Australian Open, so playing the ATP Cup, you know, you don't want to be peaking there, but you're using that as getting a few matches for the Australian Open to put yourself in a position to be playing good tennis there. Mm. Um so the little ser- tournaments serve a purpose, but because I've done a fair few of them, I understand that they serve a purpose or, or they're important to get your ranking points to give yourself a chance to play in those big ones. But you want to um, you want to create just a few more of those snapshots of those big tournaments. Now, oh, as a kid, you dream of winning them, but you know maybe, maybe that doesn't happen. But but there are certain moments um, during that time. And during those, you know, walking onto the court, centre court Wimbledon about to play Andy Murray third round. Like, I remember that. Don't remember much of the match again, <laughs> but I remember that moment. Um, and remember turning the corner, David Beckham's there, and, <laughs> and I'm walking down the stairs. There's the famous um, Rudyard, Rudyard Kipling quote, and I'm not going to do it justice because uh, it's famous and I can't recite it off the top of my head. From the if, from the if poem. Yeah, and it's about um, if you can if you can um, meet triumph and adversity the same, you know it's a, it's a ripper quote, and I'm you no know, no it's a cracker, and and it's it's actually littered in that that's one of the the more famous. It's like a Liverpool. You'll be a man, your, my son. Is that it? Is yeah, something like well, that. Yeah. Well, uh, the backstory with that quote is is that um, he uh, had a son, and. He encouraged him and said it was his duty to, to go off to, to war and the, the son didn't return. You know, he wow. got killed in action. Wow. So a lot of his writing and work actually um, uh, reflects, you know, 
the most traumatic experience of his life, yeah, you know, yeah. sending his kid and encouraging his kid to go on a war. So um, you're walking on the court. So that's another snapshot there. You know, you can see it there and you're about to walk on, not too dissimilar to to Liverpool. You know, you'll never walk alone. You know, the poster there, the, the placard there before you walk on to, in, on, into mm. Anfield. Um, or this is Liverpool, I should say. That's what it says. Um Oh, this is Anfield. Anfield, yeah, yeah, This yeah. is Anfield. I should know. I'm a big Liverpool supporter. Um, yeah, this is Anfield. You know, they touch it, boom, on you go. So, uh, yeah, it's about, for me, I'd love to get a couple more of those snapshots, you know, um, in the career. Uh, and I do feel as if there's a couple more to, to get, hopefully. And... Yeah, if I can do that, it's, it's pretty cool. That's yeah. so cool. It's incredible that you're, yeah. That you're yeah. so driven. So, so driven, but it's for the moments. It's not for, yeah, who you're playing or necessarily for the results, but for those moments because that just reflects the opportunity and that's what you're clearly grateful for. Yep. And I think, yeah, not enough people, you know, are necessarily grateful just for the opportunity. They, f- they forget, they get lost in, you know, yep. potentially the result or, you know, the outcomes. But you're just happy to be there. Yeah, for sure. And I think that that's because um, I've spent a fair bit of time playing um, in Gimchon, Korea, you know, where no <laughs> one's there and, and the Pizza Hut guys delivering the court to the bloke returning the serve, you know. Like it's uh, – it's, it's, you appreciate those good moments all the more when the journey's been a little bit more of a battle, a little, a little trickier. Yeah. Have you embraced like, um, you know, any kind of, um, you know, meditation, mindfulness, any of this kind of stuff in your like game preparation and, you know, recovery and any of that? Look, I, I know plenty of people that have, um, I probably don't have the discipline for it. Um, but you've clearly got discipline. But, I mean, <laughs> but what, what I, I, I think what's what's big and, and probably I got a little bit of OCD and that's, you know. Not as know, bad as Rafa. Not surely. as bad as Rafa. You know, I, I've read up about it. Um, it is common with sports people, mm. especially in individual sports. Mm. Uh, but there are certain routines that I'll do that, that kind of try to keep um, everything consistent. Bit of a structure. Yeah, for sure. What's one of those things? Like what's. Yeah. Oh, look, for sure. So. So when I'm when I'm on the court, um, you know, I'll have a, a certain uh, ball uh, routine that I'll do, or or toweling down routine that I do. That that all kind of uh, the whole purpose of it is to 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 have that clarity when you go back to just stop and think about that line. one thing. Exactly right, exactly right. And you see Rafa do it, you know, with his water bottles. You know, he has to line up his water bottles, and you'll see a lot of players will have certain structures that they do um, because with all the external factors that can come into play with tennis, you know, you can't control where your opponent's hitting the ball or, or what he's going to do, but, but you do want to have control with, with certain little things that, that you're doing. So, you know, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll read out my, uh, my, um, my notes against Roger. Yeah. When he had a match point at, at Aussie and I ended up losing it. Um, you know, one of my things is 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 to be brave, be brave, be brave. I had that, and, I, and you see me almost chanting that when I played. That. I'm pretty sure that the I don't know if it's that that match or not, but I remember that um, the camera zoomed in on your on your frame and yep. and saw that. And it was yeah, it was pretty cool. Yeah, it look, it's, cool. it's you're alone on the court a lot of the time, you know, and so um, you're going to have little routines that you do. Um, 
just to to try to have a little bit of normality uh, and to to try to, I don't know, stay sane almost. After you lose a, a match like that Aussie Open yep. match against Fed, like coming out of that, obviously there's major disappointment, yep. but how do you just – like not yeah. snap out of it, but work on to the next thing. Because, you know, yep. people that are listening, you know, life happens and yep. shit doesn't go to plan. But you've got to be able to step out, remove yourself from that, yep. learn from it, but and go to the next thing. Like how quickly do you yeah. work off that loss? Yeah, it's 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 not a it's not a thing that, that just happens like that, that's for sure. Because that Australian Open was tough. Um obviously you never want to lose a match when you have opportunities to win it for sure, but you've engaged in a battle for four and a half odd hours and, you know, you want to come out the other side of it. And when you do put yourself in a position to potentially win it, it's, it's the worst thing in sport. But um, first of all, after that match, uh, I woke up really sore because I'd torn my calf, a grade two tear. I had a grade one tear just the day before, um, that tournament started. I was practicing with a guy called Tiago Montero, who I ended up playing a little bit later on in Davis Cup. And it turned into a grade two during that one. So all of a sudden I've gotten up and I've had to worry about that a little bit. But um, you're disappointed. You really are disappointed. You're shattered. Uh, that's normal. And you know that that's normal because, unfortunately, it's not the only time I've lost. And... Um, for a day or two, it, it really stings a lot and you're going to cop a lot of external criticism from people. Uh, that happens a lot, especially in this day and age on social media. We, we cop it a lot as tennis players. Um, what's really important it, for me was to, um, first of all, lean on that support network I have and those people will say, you know, the right things because if they don't, oh, yeah, you put yourself in the yeah. right environment. Yeah, yeah. No, they, no, they do. Um, but again, when I walked onto the court, I wanted to control the controllables. You know, I wanted to control the controllables. I wanted to to bring a, a really good mindset, and I wanted to to bring that physicality to that match. And and look, you replay the points when you know I got up in a match tiebreaker, which you know if it was a regular tiebreaker, I would have won it, but. Um, got up in a match tiebreaker, couldn't quite finish him off. You replay those points. What did you do wrong? I didn't think I did a whole lot wrong. I think Roger did a whole lot right. Um, you know, I engaged in the patterns that I wanted to engage in. Again, I thought I was actually thinking pretty clearly during that stage. So so you that's a little box that you can check off and go, okay, I didn't do a whole lot wrong there. But did I control those controllables? You know, did I... Did I um, hold myself to 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 account in that match? And and I and I did, you know, I, I did. I, I I put in a massive physical shift, um, pushed myself to the limit, uh, which is what all those hours training on the courts about. And mentally, I thought I I applied myself, you know, during that whole match. So. I think after a few days you kind of get over it because of that. And look, you you still look back and reflect and would have been great to have won because not only was it a chance to to beat Roger in your in your home slam, but and to extend your stay at the Australian Open, but that draw opened up a fair bit after that. So that would have been really tasty. Did he go on to win it? No, he didn't. He lost to Djokovic in the semis, but you know there were oh, a couple right, of gettable yeah. matches after that, and I mean his body was cooked by the end of it too. Because, <laughs> and I think that was maybe a contributing factor in that match. It was it was so physical. Yeah. Um, 
It was incredible. Yeah, but <laughs> it was good. But but I control the controllables, and, and yeah, it still stings a little bit. But um, you have to move on, and that's that's our sport because yeah. you know you can't dwell on that for the rest of the year. You have to move on. And after I got the calf right, I played a couple of matches just to try to get ready for Davis Cup. Um, and I wasn't right playing those matches, but come Davis Cup I was. So, you know, I'd kind of peaked at the right time there. And, you know, my last memories of tennis matches prior to this COVID was actually contributing um, to get our our team into the, you know, into the new format, but the finals in Madrid, which has been postponed for a year now because of COVID. But um, they're actually really good memories to have. You know, it was one of the more memorable um tennis experiences that I've had being able to be a contributing factor after losing a, you know, I, I lost a quarterfinal match for Australia after a pretty late call up in, in Madrid the following year that heard and, and really soured a, um, a, a holiday at the end of the year after a long year, you know, you really oh, look no. forward to that one week off a year. And, and I probably was, yeah, probably a bit bitter throughout that trip. Um, but yeah, to contribute towards the team, was really special and um, I'm glad that I had that memory prior to this big lockdown process. Do you ever look at guys like, um, you know, Andy Murray, like, yeah. you know, and how he's, he's, he cooked it right now. He's with yeah. injuries, he's out, isn't he? Um, done. Like. Well, he's trying to come back. Is he trying to come back? Yeah, he? and he's done. Oh, I thought he was. He's got, he's got a metal hip and, and you know, I look at Andy and, uh, and I think it's incredible. You know, that's I think a that'd be a huge thing to come back from. Yeah, it is. It is, and and he's doing a, you know, he, he's he's trying his absolute hardest because he, he loves the game. Imagine that. Imagine, he loves dog. Imagine that mental, like that mental uh, game that he yeah. would have been going through for years. You know, yeah. I mean, every, I thought he, yeah, I thought he was done for sure. No, no yeah, no, out. and he's a, you know, he's he's an absolute animal. You yeah. know, and he's and it's for someone like him. And I think if I was in his position, I would be, I'd be hanging him up. Like, what have I got to prove? I've won. You I were mean, in his position, though. You yeah, were, but I, you but I hadn't, I hadn't got the Olympic gold medal. I hadn't got. He won Wimbledon. He won Wimbledon. I haven't got the Grand Slam. Through three Grand Slams, I haven't been world number one. And it just goes to show, you know, we talk about satisfaction. Yeah. You know, we go back and we talk about, are we ever satisfied? Yeah. <laughs> and and Andy Murray. You know, clearly not satisfied. Isn't satisfied. And look, <laughs> yeah. he probably being the competitor he is, he probably thinks he can go back and win a Grand Slam, but chances are he probably won't because it's incredibly tough to win seven matches against some of these guys with how physical tennis is with a with yeah. a metal hip. But if he does that, it would be very clear that it's not about for him, it's not about winning or it's not about the money. It's about just Proving it to just, yourself. Yeah, to yourself, yep. knowing that I'm not done yet. Yep. Whatever it is, I just I, I Pick know yourself I've got, up off the canvas just, and yeah. go again. Go again. It's, in, it's incredible. Uh, you know, I follow the NFL and I see Alex Smith. And if ever you see a documentary, watch watch his documentary. And but where's it? What's it on? Um, Net, oh, not Netflix or anything the, like that? It's yeah. not on Netflix. It's on one of the platforms. Yeah, but yeah. really try to – it was on one of those like 3030s ESPNs oh, or right, something yeah. like that. But really get a track of that. This guy – Literally was I mean and, and the and the, the visual footage is is disgusting. It's so bad. He's he's literally nearly lost his leg. Um God. He, he you know, he had a really bad snap. Not like leg. Anderson Silver in the UFC. Have you ever seen yeah, that? Yeah, I have seen it. Well, so this was a similar bad <laughs> uh, snap. Like a compound then, fracture type. But thing. then what happened is is his whole leg got infected after the surgery. <sighs> and so 
um, it, it's a it's a shocker, and and you know he's just been cleared to play for next season. Like that's insane. It, these guys, and, and this is a guy who's made hundreds of millions of dollars in his career. Yeah. It, it it goes to to show that you're not the only one out there that that is 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 maybe not satisfied. You know, despite what you've done, um, there's still more boxes to tick. Yeah, and I suppose you look at um, Rafa and you look at, like, Joker. Like, obviously, you know, Joker's – he wants to win the most Grand Slams. I'd assume he'd be thinking, I want to get in front of um, – no, 100% fe- you know what I mean? 100% yeah. he is. That's what I mean. So, like, yeah. it's that – I just – it's been a common theme the last few podcasts. It's like that talk about – it's just levels. And we go back to, like, yeah, the Kevin Hart, Joe Rogan podcast. Like, he just talks about levels and you just keep levelling up, yep. levelling them up. And there's no ceiling. It's just what the next thing is yeah. and what you've learned and what you can apply and the little 1% changes you can make. And, mate, yeah, it's cr- it's so cool. It's just fucking awesome. I've thought of a question. <laughs> Come on. I hope you remember this. <laughs> and I can't um, I can't remember exactly what game it is, so I need your help here as well. But we've had Greg Martin on the podcast. Yep. Yeah, Marto. yeah. And he was telling us he hates Nick Kyrgios with a passion. That's yeah, he fine. He blames his father's death. Oh, yeah. Nick Kyrgios. He blames, yeah, blames Nick Kyrgios killing his father. Because his father, the story is that his father was watching the news when, you know, Nick Kyrgios was copping some bad media and his father, you know, let out, you know, stuff Nick Kyrgios. I wouldn't, I wouldn't. Uh, no, know. I wouldn't feed him. If he was a dog, I wouldn't feed oh, him. And then he, he dropped dead. He had a heart attack. Instantly, died. straight after. But anyway. Marto was yeah, telling us about um, where he was at a game of yours and. There wasn't a big crowd and um, and you were down and he just gave you a big Queensland. Yeah, oh, I know exactly when it was. I was playing against uh, Montañez on um, – I won- ended up winning it in five sets. I was playing against Montañez in 2016 and um, he's a Spanish guy but he's pretty tricky and crafty. It's funny, just before that match, a couple of days before, um, I was on the practice court uh, at, at Wimbledon and at a rangy, it's uh, that's what they call their practice courts, and and I was there, and I was hitting with Bautista. Oh uh, no, I was hitting with Karina Bustone, and we we're playing some points. And there was like there's a few seats behind the court, a bit elevated. And Ron, my old man, who calls himself the Fox, was sitting. <laughs> <laughs> was oh, the sitting, phone. Yeah, <laughs> he was sitting behind the court, and you know, Ron, um, um, love him to bits. Um, at times, I say he's a little bit useless, but it probably that's that's probably a bit rough. But I give him a bit of stick, and you know he's sitting behind the court. And I see him on, you know, see him like looking around. He's on his phone a little bit, and and he kind of makes his way down towards the court. And you know, for me, um, no one's gonna carry my rackets. My old man, he's not getting involved in my tennis. Like you know. I'm, very much like that. Clear boundaries. And he goes and talks to my coach at the time, Mark Draper, um, who was awesome for me, and goes to the the fence and Mark's as blind as a bat, you know. He needs like a, a few glasses and he always has like the cheap frames, you know, that you get. So he's always going through them and, you know, they're, they're probably not the right ones and my old man's a bit blind as so a bat he's, So he's not running your challenges then? No, he's not. He's not. But... Um, so Ron's up at the fence and I'm in the middle of like a practice set against, you know, Karana Booster. And he called Mark over to, to show him something on his on his phone. And, you know, he's, you know, he's Ron's very animated, the fox is animated and all this. And Mark comes back and and he goes, and I go, man, what's he what's he doing? Like, you know, I've shushed him away. And, what's he doing? 
and and Ron go, and Mark goes, oh, I think um, Montanez is sitting next to him scouting your practice session. And I said, Mark, I said, Mate, that's not Montanez because Montanez is on the court next to me practicing. <laughs> you know, there's no fence or anything. <laughs> He's on the court next to me, right? I said, that's Montagna's there, you know? <laughs> I yell out to, to the fog, Fox, that's Montagna's, you know? Like, like, he thought he was being super sweet helping you out. Helping me out. He could have actually been watching Montagna's. Instead, he thinks Joe Blow next to him. So what he had on his phone is he's gone on Google Images to oh, look up, up. Montagnes to, to see if it's this bloke the next Montagnes to him. The Montagnes guy probably looking yeah. over your old man's shoulder going, why yeah. the fuck's that bloke looking yeah. my shit up on Google? Exactly. Oh, that's so, um Yeah, so it was in that match and ended up getting through it in five sets. And I definitely remember Marto there, yeah, because he did yell out a big Queenslander. and Because he would have given it right from his, the bottom of his he, nuts. Yeah, you know he, he, is. he would have yeah. let that go. No, he's awesome. <laughs> Mate, he's awesome. And that's what, you know, that's what you want. And and for me, I'm someone that really um, likes to feed off the energy of a crowd. And, you know, at Wimbledon, it's on an outside court, but there's always crowds there, but you don't know if – if anyone's Australian, yeah, there's normally a few expats at Wimbledon, which is pretty cool. Um, yeah, but Marto was there giving out the the Queenslander, and yeah, I loved it. Does um, it and, and it was how it works. Oh, for sure it does. You know, and and that's something that for me and and um, I, I want to feed off that because I, I'm I play I try to play um, you know a physical brand of of tennis. I try to to play high energy stuff. And, and when you're engaged in a battle like that, you, you, yeah. you want that support and, and, um, and you want that energy and, and definitely got it that day from Marta. How cool is that? Um, this has been a bloody impressive chat. Eh? I this did, is, yeah, I've, I've sort of, I felt, I'll be completely honest. I felt nervous sort of talking to you because like, normally I'm really relaxed, but I'm like, fuck, it's sort of, there's so much I want to ask you, but it's sort of, yeah, I, I, the, the ability to, think, Mate, to, to go out and play like some of these, names that are like going to be etched in tennis history and like, you know, mate, you've been there, you know, I mean, that's incredible. And you've beaten Roger Federer and you've played in, you know, quarterfinals and fuck, it's just unbelievable what you've been able to achieve and uh, and the journey too, to get there. It's just unbelievable. look, You are, you're a journeyman. I am a journeyman. Yeah. And, and, and I, I, um, look, I'm, I, in the scheme of things, I haven't achieved much in terms of, you know, what our sport is and, and the champions that have gone before me. But um, down the track, if I can if I can squeeze that lemon dry, what I have had is I've had some great experiences. I've exceeded the expectations that a lot of people um, had of me. Uh, I've ex- probably, after a while, especially when you've been down in the doldrums, I've exceeded my own expectations at times. And... And I've given it a crack. And if you can live with yourself with that and, and I feel as if I'm, I'm at a, a place now where I can, then I've achieved some sort of, of of happiness. Now, I don't think that the story's ended just yet. I hope it hasn't. I, I, I'm 31 now and I'm not going to be a Roger where I can play till I'm 38. You know, it's, it's not going to happen. But um, I do feel as if there's a little bit longer to go and um, and – yeah, hopefully exactly what I said. Hopefully when I'm done, I've got a few snapshots um, that I've added to to my collection now that I can look back on and 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 be known for the for a guy that you know probably from from a background not too dissimilar to to a lot of other people um, that that gave it a bit of a crack and gave it a nudge. What would you say to any you know anyone out there listening whether they've got a 
a dream to, you know, whether it's to play sport or, you know. Start their own business. Start of whatever it is, you know, because you've, you've, you've done the hard work. You've yeah. done it harder, you know, than most others. Like, Yeah, look, I, I think um, probably two things, and, and we touched on one of them already, and that was to not forget of, of the dreams you had when you were a kid. You know, I'm a big believer in that, and I've probably become more of a believer of that more recently. Um because I think I think probably probably it extends to the fact that my sisters have now started to have kids and stuff, and and they have such a a vivid imagination, and there's no um, there's no fear with them, you know. Right now, you know, they haven't had uh, they're not tarnished yet. They're not tarnished at yeah. all, you mm-hmm. know. There's there's no um, stresses involved in their lives, uh, and so they have the ability to dream big, and and uh, I think that that's hold on to that and, and, and just remember that. Now, you you know that a lot of it's unrealistic. You know, I'm not going to fly like Superman. Um, but but just remember um, what it was like to have those dreams because I think that's something that um, is really important. And and the other thing I, I came to figure out, and it's something, another one of my little mantras that I live by is, is and I don't w- want to come across as um, obnoxious here or anything like that, but it's to your biggest fan has to be yourself. You know, you have to be the biggest, your, your own biggest fan because there's going to be um, a lot of people that probably have a bit of doubt in you, um, tell you you can't, you know, do this or do that. Um, you're also going to to have those doubts yourself um, where you, you don't think maybe you're going to amount to, to what you once expected of yourself. And a lot of that is you get kind of lost in that white noise a little bit. You get kind of lost in that static and, and it's a dangerous place to, uh, to find yourself. And I think um, the thing that I could encourage everyone, um, and don't be afraid to say it either because, like I said, it kind of does come across as a, a bit full of yourself a little bit. But, but you have to be your biggest fan because um, – there's going to be plenty of moments where where you doubt yourself or other people will doubt you, um, but you got to remember that you're the one that gets yourself through. Yeah, be be kind to yourself. It's on my, you know, I don't have be your biggest fan on 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 my racket, but I have be kind to yourself, and that kind of goes hand in hand, doesn't it? You know, yeah. you gotta you gotta treat yourself well. Give us a look at your hands. How are they going? Not how's how's the training going? Oh, oh yeah, blisters, no, yeah. got a couple of blisters. Sorry, no, weird they're... question. Yeah, I was wondering <laughs> yeah, sure. what's going on yeah. there. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Got a few calluses yeah, on there. No, got got the calluses. It's been a bloody long training block, but yeah, uh, all good now. The hands are, are good. They're um, they're not too soft anymore. They, yeah, yeah, they're right. Uh, like, yeah, John, thanks, mate, so much for your time. Oh, I hope, I fucking hope uh, that everything opens back up and you can get yeah. back on the tour yeah. and um, yeah, bring some smiles to. More Aussies' faces, um, yeah, against some bloody, yeah, awesome and opponents. And I would have so. to encourage anyone because, as I said, the first time that I've been to a tennis game was the ATP Cup and it was unbelievable. Yeah. So I would highly encourage anyone that hasn't been to yeah. Yeah. watch a tennis match. Yep. Mate, it's epic. And, you know, we're, we're lucky in Australia, maybe not currently with, with COVID, but um, during that month of, of January, um, you know, and perhaps I'm a little bit biased and, you know, I'm a massive sport lover. Um, you know, I'd love to go to an AFL grand final at the G. I love State of Origin, been to a few of them. Um, Formula One, I think, is awesome. Oof, yeah. um, 
But the Australian Open that we've got in Melbourne is a world-class event, even if you don't like tennis. Um, come early, come the first week because, you know, the place is jamming and, it, and it's, um, it's an unbelievable atmosphere. You're going to see a lot of tennis there. You're going to see a few of the battlers, which is awesome. Um, but it's, it's now a phenomenal event, um, not just about tennis. It's, a, it's an entertainment event now. They've done a, an incredible job there. And um, I can guarantee you you won't regret it to, to get down to the Australian Open. Right, One that. last thing. <laughs> Quick question. Big game. Do you listen to pump-up music before you play? It's interesting, mate. I used to have one of those um, the iPod Nanos, you know. Yeah, the the little day. shuffle thing. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I really did. I had one of those little iPod Nanos and I loved it. You know, I'd run with it. I'd do all that that stuff with it. And, and now, um, and it's been a long time, um, Music's not necessarily something that pumps me up. Yeah, um, if every now and again, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll whack it in. I've got actually, I just invested during this COVID time of some um, wireless earphones, so maybe yeah. it'll it'll start to happen again. But look, if something pumps me up before Davis Cup, um, a lot of my peers are, are all into to the rap and stuff now, and and uh, look, that's just not not my roots, and so I'm. Um, Look, J- J- Jimmy Barnes, working class man. That's my. <laughs> oh, that my, sums it up. You know, Get that's in my. There. You know, that's my walkout song at Davis Cup. The boys know that. That's unreal. Um, yeah, and big. yeah, yeah big. look, it's. Uh, um, that's awesome. You got to always know where you come from. You I know? think yeah. that. I think that probably sums, you sums up, mate. it up. Yeah, thanks, John. I mean, really appreciate it. I know we got a lot out of it. I know our listeners are going to get a hell of a lot out of it. Um, like I said, best of luck going into the future, mate. And um, thanks again so much for your time. No Fuck, problem. Really appreciate it. Pleasure to be on. Thanks, thanks mate. mate. If you're a fan of Trademutt's 120 Grit podcast, we'd love to hear from you. Send us a message on Facebook or Instagram or shoot us an email at admin at trademutt.com.